following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Welcome to the March 1991 episode of Box Office 30. I am Pete, and I'm joined as usual by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. I'm just sitting here eating some fava beans and drinking a nice Chianti. Oh my god, look, he's got a little, like, uh, tumbler of, of, of something. Is it actually Chianti? Or? It's, actually, it's actually Cabernet. I didn't have any Chianti in the house. Gotcha. <laughs> but I'm I figured, not a wine person, so you probably could have fooled me on it. <laughs> in, in order to set the mood, I figured I needed a glass of, of a deep red wine for Although this. Although I'm disappointed that you actually don't seem to be showing me any fava beans now. <laughs> I, I didn't have any. I had... I had a, you I just had, got an... We started... <laughs> we had to wait on, on starting this podcast for, for a good 45 minutes because he was just got his uh, Amazon Fresh order, and you could have made that an opportunity to get some fava beans. I really should have. I should have. We got we got like cannellini beans and black beans and chickpeas, but no fava beans. Uh, missed opportunity. <laughs> just see me sitting here like poking at a jar of fava beans as I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> I would have appreciated. It. I mean, I know the uh, the listeners at home uh, would not have had the visual, but at least I would have. <laughs> I did pour myself a heaping glass of red wine. Yes. So, so by the end, <laughs> by the end of this evening, I might be lit. <laughs> this guy's gonna be more loosey goosey than usual. That's, that's saying something. <laughs> so, so if that hasn't given it away, this month's episode or this month's movie is Silence of the Lambs, which premiered in. March of 1991. Yes. And I know uh, you've been a little bit looking forward to this one. This is one of our um, trades, you yeah. know, uh, on our on our schedule of who's doing the notes for something. This is the uh, hook, uh, Silence of the Lambs trade, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting there, I'm like, do I want to watch six hours of Hook or do I want to watch two and a half hours of Serial killers and psychopaths. All right, question. Which version of Hook are you watching? Because I want to see the six and a half hour version. <laughs> oh, God. That movie is so long. I Oh, man. It's it's almost as long as uh, Dances with Wolves, if you ask me. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, you know, this is pretty exciting for me. I'm looking forward to this movie. I, I love this movie. It, I know a lot about this movie. And a lot of the things that tie into it and the universe as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it and going deep into Silence of the Lambs. Excellent. Well, before we get into that, I thought I'd talk a little bit about current affairs and state of theater in 2021 and where that's at. So I saw an interesting segment the other day um, with AMC Entertainment CEO Adam Aaron. 
And he says that 90% of AMC's theaters are currently opening with the reopening of 13 theaters open in the New York City market this week and 29 others in the state. So that was kind of part of this like first week of March reopening. They're gearing up for the Marvel movies that are going to be coming. Yeah, no, totally. And that's what he was citing all throughout this interview is that like they're just feeling big stuff is coming between like that or um, like the next Fast and the Furious movie and a Peter Rabbit movie coming up and other things. He's just like he's feeling really good about it. I'm just going to point out you. We went from Marvel, Fast and the Furious, Peter Rabbit. Yeah, I know. He's the one that cited that, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Although his name is my name, too. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, craziness. He mentioned that the theaters have been closed for 50.5 weeks in New York City. It's unheard of. It's it's not quite a year. It's just a little shy, but like, wow. (laughs) Crazy. It's nuts. It's it's just so bizarre that we've been in this pandemic for it'll be a year in like Four days, five days. Yeah, I like uh, you want to mention the uh, the meme you sent me earlier. I got a kick out of that one. <laughs> yeah, so somebody sent me this thing and I had to share it. It says March 2021 is shaping up to be a lot like March 2020, except now we have toilet paper. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty precise, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Yes, the uh, the crazed uh, dash on toilet paper is, oh, is happily over. It was like trading gold. <laughs> a, a friend of mine early on in the pandemic, and this is totally off topic, but it's it's hilarious. She and her husband were able to get like a, a BJ's or Costco order of like a giant case of toilet paper. And she was laying on the bed with all the toilet paper rolls like it was, you know, indecent proposal. And she's just like rolls and rolls of toilet paper. She just rolls like, this is so weird. This is what life has become in this pandemic. Yeah, I'd like to see like a thing with like somebody Scrooge McDucking it just like swimming through like <laughs> rolls of toilet paper or Elaine Bettis. I can't sk- spare square. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I digress. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> Sorry. According to him, that makes it um, 500 plus theaters that are open. And uh, he says that two of the three biggest theaters in the country with advanced sales are in New York city. And seven of the top 20 are in New York City. Wow. Which I thought was interesting. So New York City reopening is a big deal, big market for them. Well, there's the Um, AMC on 65th, and then there's what, the one in uh, Times Square? Yeah, well, also there was the one that I frequented most, which was um, the 68th Street. Right. um, You know, uh, Lincoln Center um, one, which had the big, big IMAX screen. So, I mean, you know, for sure, there are multiple theaters and each one of those has numerous, numerous theaters in it. Like the oh, yeah. um, Times Square one has 25 screens in it. So, you know, <laughs> big, big market for sure. Um, he's also followed up that, you know, L.A. would be opening in a few weeks. So, I mean, between New York and L.A. opening, that should be doing a bigger chunk of business. So uh, with that said, I was kind of diving into a little bit of like how um, the New York City theaters reopened. So I've got a, like a little bit of a poll quote here. This is from uh, Cuomo, who's in hot water at the moment. But oh, boy. I, I'm not going to get into that. But <laughs> uh, he said that uh, movie theaters in New York will be brought in line with the rest of the state. 25% capacity, no more than 50 people per screening, masks, assigned seating, social distancing, staff to control occupancy, traffic and seating to ensure compliance. They need the enhanced air filtration, ventilation, and purification standards that the DOH has specified. So 
Interesting. I mean, you know, my takeaway from that, especially in some of these really large um, spaces that they had in New York City, 25% capacity, but no more than 50 people, they might not even reach 25% capacity for some of those bigger Right. Like some of those spaces. theaters have like 500, 600 seats in it. Like 50, 50 seats is like maybe 10%, maybe a blip in some of those big theaters. Yeah, I mean, I know that some of them, like the um, IMAX that was with us, I, I couldn't tell you what the original occupancy was, but I know that when they like renovated it a few years ago, they spaced everything out, put these like nice big loungers in. So it might be a little different somewhere like that now, but there's definitely some theaters there that are, are huge. So <laughs> I, I, it's just interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, sitting there doing the mask thing, I guess you got to pop it off to eat your popcorn. <laughs> yeah. You know, pretty the mess a little opening for a straw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so on like a broader scale, I have this other quote here and it's uh, theater owners are pleased with the announcement that the New York City movie theaters will be allowed to safely reopen. The National Association of Theater Owners said in a statement, stringent voluntary health and safety protocols have made it possible for cinemas across the country to operate safely and responsibly at higher capacity limits for many months without a single outbreak of COVID-19 being traced to movie theaters. So I don't know, that's promising. You know what I mean? I, I you know, we've really struggled with the ending these podcasts, but we'll see in the theaters. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> in not the too distant future here, we might be able to use that as a actual ending uh, statement for this uh, podcast. The only thing I wonder is having a limit of capacity of that, which I understand that I, I don't disagree with, the the chances of these movies hitting a, the billion dollar mark is going to be real tough. So that's yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. That that gives me my last little poll quote here, which is that um, New York City is a major market for movie going in the U.S. Reopening here gives confidence to film distributors in setting and holding their theatrical release dates, and it is an important step in the recovery of the entire industry. Um, same uh, National Theater Association group said so. I I point that out because I think it so ties back to what you just mentioned there, which is, you know, distributors might start feeling a little bit more confident. I don't know if we're still going to get a release date yet for like the Black Widows of the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, like, you know, point in case he's still citing that, you know, the Fast and the Furious movies coming up again and that's still holding to a date. That's a big franchise movie that does big big money you know what i mean yeah. so i don't think it's going to have the potentiality to hit the number it normally does but that kind of feeling of um the distributors feeling confident enough to start coming back now is kind of a big change it's a big sign of improvement i feel like also i don't know if you know this so a few months back the i think it's sony that does the james bond films Mm, yeah, See, there's Sony, Sony or Paramount, one of those. Uh, they it used to be MGM, but I don't know if they're owned by somebody else now. Yeah. So whoever it was was trying to sell the rights to one of the other streaming services like HBO Max or Netflix or whatever, and they wanted $600 million in order to put it on one of these streaming platforms. So... If you think about that as like the goal number for movies to be back in the theaters, $600 million would be this year's equivalent to the billion dollar club, so to speak, is what I think. Yeah. And again, you know, it would be able to strip out a little bit of the distribution costs, I guess, that they would normally incur in sending this stuff all throughout theaters. But 
Yeah, you don't need billboards. Number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, you know, that said, you know, the Netflixes and whatever the world for big things like that definitely still do put out a lot of ad stuff. Yeah, like uh, that that Pacino De Niro movie. They had ads for that all over the place for a while. Yeah, so I don't know that it like completely kills off the marketing end of things, but you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, uh, I guess these theaters have a number that they want to hit at a minimum to at least you know make some money back and and you know make sure all their uh, you know top people are getting paid and all that sort of yeah. thing. So uh, I don't know. Very interesting. As a uh, little example, uh, a little bright spark of interest or hope. Um, Raya the Last Dragon has the biggest number this past week in the theaters with 8.6 million. So I don't know. Uh, that's a little bit brighter of a number than we've seen in some of the more um, recent uh, movie releases in the past month and couple of past month, I guess, uh, era here. <laughs> I'd say that's the best number we've seen since Tenant. Yeah. And again, that's this week's number. That's not even the month number. So that's, you know, I mean, that's, I'm trying to remember what we said that Wonder Woman had done in sort of its opening, but it's kind of at least in that zone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the other thing is that this being a children's movie and getting that number means that parents are feeling confident enough to bring their children back to the theater. So I don't know. Maybe we're starting to turn around here. You know, uh, you and I are both uh, somewhat into the vaccine thing here already. <laughs> you know, so like, as you know, people are hitting that, maybe we're uh, it's going to be. Uh, honestly, I feel like once I'm fully vaccinated, if I got to go to a movie theater and wear a mask, I really don't care. I'm like, I'm OK with that. OK, I won't buy the large popcorn. Then. <laughs> Look at the small popcorn. It's still f- 40 ounces of popcorn or whatever it is. Yeah, know? I wonder if the concession prices are going to change to. Uh, you know, make things uh, more uh, doable for the actual theater chains themselves. That, that That's something to be seen yet, I guess. Uh, my takeaway from all of this, I think my window of opportunity for the $99 uh, private showing is closing on me pretty quick here. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to be figuring out a solution to bring the theaters back. You know, it would be cool, though, like your $99 idea for like a birthday party kind of a thing. You know? Yeah, no, I think people have been able to kind of make use of that in that yeah. sort of capacity sense. You know, maybe some weird little office thing where you have a small office of people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because I don't know if you've looked it up. I finally took some time to look it up. I think you might be able to do the current movies, but they also have this like library of like random movies that they can play for you. Um, it's kind of a little bit like dependent to your local theater, what they'll have, but like, they might have Silence of the Lambs. It's like, you know, just this bizarre list of random movies from quite a long period of time dating back. So that's funny. kind of a, an interesting once in a lifetime opportunity in a way to kind yeah. of head to a theater and pick what it is you want to watch, you know, on demand. So and bring your know. closest friends with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But but don't sit close to your closest yeah. friends. <laughs> don't be more than 50. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, so moving along here, I thought I'd uh, check in because we've been kind of making this a regular uh, thing on this show here about some movies we've seen. So do you have any uh, new new or new to you? <laughs> I've got a couple. Okay. So I just watched the other night the Coming to America sequel. As did I. Yeah. Or I, I didn't finish it. I'm a, I'm a DNF on that and I'm debating if I'm going to go back and finish it. But But go ahead. I enjoyed it. For a streaming movie... This had a serious budget to it, I'll tell you. There was 
a gazillion extras, <laughs> some huge set pieces. The costumes were awesome. Uh, you know, I'd say the first act of the movie was really, really fun and really good. The second act was a little bit weak. And the the third act of the movie was fine. I wasn't say I wouldn't say that it was like earth shattering, but what was really cool about the movie, there was so many cameos of so many different actors and celebrities and whatever that play like little bit parts and pop in and there, which is really cool. The I think to be honest, that's one of the highlights for me too. Like uh, without spoiling anything, there's like a random musical scene where it's like De La Soul, I think comes in and then like salt and pepper. And I'm like, where did they dig these people out? This is great. It was was en vogue and salt and pepper. And, and then like, uh, like Diana Ross or something comes up after that or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different little cameos of people. The movie, funny enough, really doesn't revolve around Eddie Murphy all that much. Yeah. Which I was a little surprised by. I mean, I, I knew this movie existed and I was reminded of it. Like as soon as I turned on my Xbox the other day, cause there was like an ad from oh, yeah. Prime streaming that was like, it's out now, you know. <laughs> so they they definitely have some Amazon money, you know. It's besides even what you mentioned that like it's quite a um, visual experience, and and the whoever was doing the costuming was like, who did they have whatever budget they wanted to, to go into yeah. it? But yeah, as you say, it, it's not quite as Eddie Murphy centric as I was expecting it to be. And the other thing, and and I'm sure it's a little bit tongue in cheek intentional. It had a weird like copping from like black panther vibe to it like this sort of like lost son returning to the home country sort of thing to it i, I don't know like it, it again I, I don't think i was disliking it I, I i was enjoying it kind of just fine um and i don't know like I, there's a part of me that feels like it was like missing a lot of the original charm of it, the of the original movie, which I loved when I was younger. That's a movie I watched a ton of times. Me too. When I, was I, I love the original movie. This does lack some of the charm. I think partly because the main protagonist of the movie was very uninteresting. And it should have been so I don't want to go into too much detail, but you know, Eddie Murphy is is Prince Akeem. He becomes King Akeem. He has three daughters, but it's revealed, and they tell you this in the trailer, that he has an illegitimate son. They never really fact check and prove that he has an illegitimate (laughs) son. They just sort of say, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Sure, great. And the movie should have really revolved around the daughters and not around the son. And the, the actor who plays the son, he's fine. He's very good. He's not funny and he's not charismatic. Like he's not as charming as Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I mean, is. at least again, in what I saw, he was probably my least favorite aspect. Like right. all the original cameos and, and different things like that were so great. And then um, even some of the extra newer people that they brought in, I was having fun with, but yeah, I don't know. He was just kind of blah for me. So I, I don't know. That's why I feel like I, I if I get some free time at some point, I might go back and, and finish it out. But at least uh, for the moment, I'm uh, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> it. It's also a relatively short movie. Like it went by quick. Like it was over very fast. Um, 
ultimately I feel like the movie should have gone a different direction. And I think they realized it as they were making the movie and they, and they pivoted as they were making the movie. Cause it feels like it shifts in tone a couple times, which is a little weird. Um, but it's it's fine. The movie. Listen, if you want something that is mindless that you can kind of disconnect and get a little little chuckle out of, and you're not listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> Which you can also get that same effect from. <laughs> <laughs> you can ch- pop it on, check it out. It's free on Amazon Prime. You can't, you know, who cares? So, um, what else have you seen? So I have two that I would mention. Um, okay. The first one, which is. Uh, Kind of newish, um, but it took me a minute to finally watch it. Uh, is the old guard? Um, have you seen the old guard? Is that the one with Charlize Theron? It is. Yes, I have not seen it, but I it is on my list of things that I must watch. So I watched this just on the strength of Charlize Theron. I love her in everything, and I'll watch anything with her in it. And then I. Um, I don't think I quite knew it first, but then I was listening to some other podcast, maybe a Kevin Smith podcast, and they were talking about that it had its um, origins in comics. And I think I had either forgotten that or didn't know that. So I was like, all right, there's two check marks. I'll give it a go. I really enjoyed it. Um, definitely worth a watch. Um, we've seen similar-ish kind of stories before with like immortal sort of beings, but I thought they just did this one really like in a interesting and fun way and some kind of different sort of rules of how they worked. And I'm now actually curious to go back and try and um, dig up the comics. So I I definitely can recommend that one. Um, The other I saw, and you're going to roll your eyes at me is Raya and the last dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a, like a Disney plus premium? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Another one you paid for. Oh yes. But again, it's, it's under that same thing where I feel like, um, you know, first of all, I, I, I don't know that I would have done the same thing again in the same way that I did the thing with Mulan, but Zoe caught sight of this and was like really stoked to see it. So Daddy, put your money in the computer. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I kind of went with that, like, you know what? Uh, it, it's less than if I, it's like the cost of like my ticket at the theater, let alone like bringing the kids. So I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. So um, can highly, highly recommend. Oh, really? Not necessarily for the younger audience. Uh, this is not a Moana or a Frozen in terms of um, all the music and things like that. So like, you know, my younger daughter, I probably, I mean, she was in the room, she was doing something else. So like she kind of didn't care as much about it. Um, but like that sort of like seven, eight year old and up, this is like a perfect movie for that, um, age bracket. Um, gorgeous movie. Absolutely stunning. That's um, cool. Like the work that Disney and Pixar studios individually each are doing now is just so, so, so pretty. Um, and it was just like a really fun tale. Um, I think they just did a, a really interesting job with it. Um, all the, uh, I don't necessarily know who all the actors were, but at least, uh, the main two, which, which is, um, Kelly Marie Tran, who, um, was Rose in, um, the star Wars, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, recent movies, uh, plays Raya and then Aquafina um, plays the titular last dragon. <laughs> um, and, uh, they really, <laughs> yes, they had, uh, they had good chemistry and they, they played off each other. Well, no, 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 just, it just was fun. Like if you're a, um, I feel like if you're like an Avatar The Last Airbender fan, this is like a really good movie for you. It kind of feels like it's in the same kind of vein. 
that's cool. I have one other movie that oh, sure. uh, I really, really liked. It's an Apple TV Plus movie, On the Rocks. I don't know if I heard that one. It's with your boy Bill Murray, who I know okay. you love. Yes. <laughs> and Rashida Jones. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds like something I would watch. Yeah. And so she, she's his daughter, and she thinks that her husband is having an affair. And he is like this rich billionaire guy. And they like go on this adventure to try to figure out if her husband is cheating on her or not. (laughs) And it's really funny. Parts of it are a little frustrating. The ending is a little bit predictable. Uh, The actor who plays her husband is Marlon Wayans. And both Dory and I couldn't tell if he's playing a role in a way that he looks like a bad actor or if he's just a bad actor if he's um, given up <laughs> yeah because he he's like the worst part of the movie like it's just his character doesn't really play well but the chemistry between Rashida Jones and Bill Murray is worth watching alone because it's a lot of fun watching the two of them together they were very great together it 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 has like hints of lost in translation which makes sense because it's a Sofia Coppola movie as well so uh, it, it feels like that in a way but in, in a less creepy you know old man young girl kind of way so. I hate that movie <laughs> <laughs> I like I remember when that came out there was so many people that were like oh this movie's so cool and different and new and I was like alright they become friends in Japan great <laughs> like, okay whatever yeah i don't know that was never one of my favorites <laughs> but but th- this is pretty good because the two of them are really good together and they play a believable father-daughter relationship and they have a really good chemistry together on screen gotcha and, and it takes place all over new york city so it's very relatable if you've lived in or worked in or been around new york city maybe i'll have a little nostalgia now that i'm a jersey boy yeah uh, go check that out and (laughs) check out the old stomping grounds there oh well speaking of going back how about we take a look back at our box office 30 for march 1991 Ooh, okay So the box office mojo chart for March of 1991 has a plethora of new movies to the list that I'm kind of glad to see some new stuff because we've seen a lot of the same stuff reign supreme for quite a while. (laughs) And our top movie, which is our feature movie of the month, is Silence of the Lambs, which opened on February 14th, but didn't really you know, rise to power, if you will, or, or become the, the biggest movie until March. And it's gross for the month of March was about $50 million. And it's worldwide total box office was about $130 million. Yep. Is that right? Okay. So the number two movie, which we'll be talking about next month, because I guess that will take over is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, 
which, which we had a near miss on here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So just so you guys know, we're going to be doing a little bit of a crossover event between my other podcast and this podcast where Pete is going to join Stephen and I on our Wizards podcast Patreon exclusive 90 Super Cinema, where we're going to be talking about The Rocketeer, and we're going to also release that free for anybody to listen to as well. If you want a double dose of Pete and I this month, you're going to get it. <laughs> so. Which I'm excited about, yeah, because like, yeah, this got brought up uh, you know, a couple days ago, and it was like, uh-oh, we kind of didn't realize we were crossing streams here, and then uh, you guys were doing a... Uh, <laughs> yes, we were doing a uh, a uh, like a voting thing to decide which it was, and it fell to the Rocketeer, which I was excited about, because you know uh, one of Mike and my common links is that we both love, love the, Rocketeer. the Rocketeer. So I'm actually really excited to kind of cross over and, and talk with you guys about that, too. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and then dropping down to number three was that Wonderful movie we watched last month, <laughs> Sleeping with the Enemy. Yep. <laughs> Still holding on to the strength of, of Julia Roberts, apparently. And number four is The Doors. Now, what did you think of The Doors as a movie? I have never seen The Doors. Really? Uh, I know. I don't know how I um, have gone all this time without this because it's one of these like big bio drama films that I feel like you run into all the time. I have never seen it. It's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a good movie. It, it makes you think that Val Kilmer is actually a good actor. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's saying something. I feel like if that helps. My wife won't be happy hearing that, but that's saying something <laughs> that and tombstone are the only things that I find are really redeemable for Val Kilmer movies that and top gun. <laughs> so yeah, cause um, I guess uh, where does he falls? Um, where does he, pop up in your Batman uh, kind of rankings. Oh, really? You, you, okay. Well, obviously everyone knows Keaton is my number one. He'll, I mean, oh, we don't need to run the whole list down, but I mean, like, is he like quasi towards the top or is he down in the uh, rings? say he's fourth or fifth. Okay. So if it's Keaton, then I'd say it's Bale. Only in Batman Begins. Then it's Adam West. Then it's Ben Affleck. Then it would be Val Kilmer. Then it'd be George Clooney. Gotcha. And, and my Robert Pattinson jury is still out because I haven't seen the movie, obviously. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so uh, then the next movie on the list, number five, is New Jack City. And New Jack City is a movie with, with Wesley Snipes. And it's a pretty cool, interesting, dark movie. I vaguely remember it, and I'm glad it's not the number one movie because I would have done a terrible job at the recall. But I do remember it was a very important movie at the time. Yes. Um, coming down the list even further here, we have The Hard Way. Oh, um, that's the Michael J. Fox, uh, yes. James Woods movie, right? Yes. Yeah, it's um, like a hard-boiled police type of uh, movie. <laughs> Michael J. Fox is playing like an actor who is going to be portraying a cop. And so he does a kind of like a ride along with a real cop to learn how to be a cop is what I remember from that movie. Yes. That's, that's pretty much my recollection of it as well. <laughs> Crazy enough though. Number eight is home alone. Home alone is still on the list in the top 10 and it is March <laughs> and it's still pulled in 18.5 million. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, no, the sucker's hanging in there. I mean, as is Dances with Wolves, that's still up there at number six. Um, so yeah, no, some of those ones that had those big numbers are still 
Still hanging in there. <laughs> now, I'm going to jump down to number 13, The Perfect Weapon. I've never heard of this movie. Do you know what this movie is? So here's the thing, right? So I, I mentioned to Michael before the um, episode started, you know, some of the issues we've been facing in January and February in 1991 is that a lot of the movies were like these kind of just like small ho-hum lists. March has a huge list. And I'm pretty sure every one of these past this point is like our bottom of the list quality type of movie. I mean, actually, even a few above this, like there's a Disney movie called Shipwrecked um, that was actually at number 10. There's another one called Class Action that's on number 11. I don't know these movies. Um, I mean, maybe if I started like really, really clicking through them, I'd be like, oh, yeah. But like. By and large, I'm not really recognizing most of the names. Um, I do have one exception that's number 21, and that's Nikita. Oh, yeah. Do you know Nikita? Is that the original Nikita? Yes, this is the original Nikita. Yes. Yeah, this is a fantastic movie. Now, this is a movie I didn't see till much later on. Actually, when we were in college is when I was introduced to this. I didn't see this movie until after I saw the USA TV series. Well, that's what I was about to mention. So I was a big La Femme Nikita Me fan. <laughs> How do we not know this about each other? I never knew that about you. I so Wait, now I have to take show. it to the next step. And this is, I mentioned this one other time in my adult life and got um, laughed out of the room about it. So if you were a La Femme Nikita fan, were you then also a Silk Stockings fan? <laughs> can, I admit, can I admit this openly? I don't know. I can always cut this out, I guess, if it's too cringy. <laughs> I did like Silk Stockings as well. I liked that show a lot. And you know another show that I liked, which is not exactly in the same vein, and also a much earlier show, was Remington Steel. See, now, I never, I don't know that I caught that one, but I just can remember, like, in my teenage years um, that I caught these two shows. Like, I guess they were on at USA at, yeah. like, nine-ish at night or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of became a thing because at that point in time, my TV watching schedule became, like, La Femme Nikita, sometimes Silk Stockings, but mostly I was waiting to catch the MSNBC next day rerun of Conan O'Brien because I couldn't really stay up till like the 1130 or 1230, whatever original air, I guess it was 1230 airtime that his show was at that point. Cause it was like, like the late, late show. So they would play it at like 10 or 1030 on MSNBC. So those were like the shows leading into that. And usually I think, and I could be wrong, maybe the, uh, the good guys over at uh, the house show could remind me of this. I think it was that those shows came on after like, um, like Monday, Monday Night Raw, Raw and things like that, like some of the wrestling shows. I think that was kind of like my uh, my like teenage years like schedule. I was watching some of the wrestling, which was like it, those shows and that that wrestling was like exclusive to that period of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Very testosterone filled time as a, <laughs> as a as a thirteen. 14 whatever year old I was I guess at that point. <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned that because I loved La Femme Nikita. I loved Silk Stockings. And then I would like to flip over to CBS to watch David Letterman and yeah. watch the top 10 list. And that was kind of like my even. That's how I would fall asleep in bed to my 13-inch television. Yeah, was- I probably jumped into Letterman as well in, in the Conan weight. I just can't remember because like I think it was like 10 or 10.30 they would, they would air that. But 
Yeah, that was definitely, those were all my jams. And then uh, USA also had, I don't remember if it tied right into those or not, but the Highlander show. Yeah. Oh, oh the Highlander. Highlander. <laughs> Forget it. The Highlander show. I used to watch that on Saturdays when they'd show like the, the reruns of it. Oh my God. I'd watch it for hours. I love the original Highlander movie and the other movies have a, have a place in my heart too, but I think like, the first I put one it, is like, best Highlander, the movie Highlander, the TV show, and then the rest of the Highlander movie. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Duncan oh. McLeod of the Clan McLeod, baby, come on! <laughs> yes, wow, we uh, we really um, jumped off our, our tracks. Here. <laughs> We're off the rails, and we haven't yeah, even gotten the, to the, the movie. Crashed in a big bad way. Um, but that said, it's because it's worth pointing out Nikita, because like going down the list here now, my heroes have always been cowboys, career opportunities, the Five Heartbeats, American Ninja Four, the Annihilation, Closet Land, Defending Your Life, the Unborn, Two Colors, Two Colors. I feel like I know. Why do I feel like I know True Colors? I need to look that one up. <laughs> no, I, I don't know that one. <laughs> I, I just love that American Ninja 4 still stars Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's just a a complete, excuse me, but it's a complete shit show. Of, oh, of it's a shit show. All going right. down the bottom of the, uh, the rest of the list here. The uh, Shadow of China, The Comfort of Strangers, Open Doors, Jew Duo. Mr. Johnson, Robert Carnival, and Scissors. Scissors. <laughs> Scissors, which was in one theater and made $2,300. <laughs> and because we need to, here we go. A woman trying to recover from a sexual attack is locked in a posh apartment with a corpse of the very man she's been dreaming would murder her. She tries to hang on to reality when objects around her seem to come to life in HD. What is in HD? What does that mean? I don't know. But here's the funny thing. This movie was in that one theater for 285 days and only made $2,300. See, now here's the thing. That might be a, a wrong thing. And I could be wrong. But, you know, I feel like I see like the 285 days, 40 weeks thing open. So I, my guess is that that's the release window, but that actual theater might not have left it to sit there all that time. Just a guess. I don't know, but who? All right. I, I would love to know what theater that was. <laughs> I would love to know who's in this movie. I need to jump over. Oh, that's Sharon Stone. Really? 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 It's a Sharon Stone movie? It is in fact Sharon Stone, yes. Then, then this movie must have cost... A hundred times more than it made. <laughs> well, um, I guess we know what Sharon Stone's worst ever box office movie is. <laughs> I don't wow. know that for a fact, but man, it sure would seem that way. <laughs> wow. wow. Interesting. Wow. We need to add this to our list of movies we must watch. <laughs> Do we, though? <laughs> I, this, is, this is this perpetual list of movies that we keep talking we're going to do, and then we just never do. Man, that's well, getting backlogged in a big, bad way. Well, well, if we start a Patreon, all of the bad movies on our list will be the Patreon. Let me tell you something. If we started a Patreon, the patrons would have to pay a big number, I think, to get us to start trying to dig some of these suckers up. We, we, would, know, we, we would probably honestly need to go find like the world's last VHS like rental store to find any of these movies. We need to pay people to join the Patreon to listen yes, to yeah, talk about a reciprocal issue there. I think you've got I, it now. Yes. I actually probably uh, so Stephen was in a VHS store over the weekend because it's his birthday turn, and uh, 
he found this giant happy 40 steven yeah he found this giant vhs store in connecticut and bought a couple of tapes three of the four that he bought did not play nice (laughs) i was like dude are you kidding me I, um, I guess that's an occupational hazard when you're uh, digging the old bins out. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, oh man, scissors. Wow. I, <laughs> if I would ever meet Sharon Stone, I'd have to sit down and be like, okay, I don't want to know about any other movies in your entire career. Tell me about scissors. Yes. And I bet she'll say to me, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, I realize I actually just misspoke because I wrote this down as Robert Carnival, but it is, in fact, the second to last robot carnival. And it says it's a collection of short movies, short stories made by different animators with robot as the working title. Wow. Interesting. That one did a whopping 10 grand. Um, I I feel like of that and scissors, I'm almost inclined to go try and dig that one up. The problem is, who has the time anymore? <laughs> yeah, or I mean, like, I guess you could always default to um, Love, Sex, and Robots uh, that came out uh, last year. I think that was really good. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. No, of course not. Oh, I-, but I don't know how you missed that. That was actually like a big deal uh, thing for a while there. It's I actually really recommend it. Um, not with the kids. Who? <laughs> not with the kids. Um, because they well, are, they're mostly all like animated. I don't know that there's any live action. I think they're all animated. Um, and my daughter saw like a like an image from it somewhere with a robot. She's like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, nope, because <laughs> it is it is not safe for work, children. <laughs> but the the title is Love, Sex and Robots. Why would I have my children watch the movie in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Am I also messing up the title? It might be like Love, Death and Robots. It's Love. I remember it's Love, Death and Robots. But my thought was that it should have been called Love, Sex, and Robots because there's definitely a lot of uh, robot sex sort of stuff happening at at points. (laughs) Your wife must ask you, like, why are you forcing me to watch these terrible? Oh no, I didn't make her watch that. That was that was me on my own. I I have my own Netflix list that like she's perfectly happy um, not watching some of the stuff that I do because I'm definitely more prone to finding obscure things like this but uh, you know you know me i come from a a uh, 3d animation background and this was a a buzz amongst people that have 3d sort of thing to it so i would actually highly recommend it very okay. well done really interesting set of uh, of shorts so to parlay from love death and robots <laughs> let's or talk about or whichever either way <laughs> both of them would work in relation to our movie this month which is Silence of the Lambs. And so, as you all know, this episode we always do a recall. And I'm going to let Pete try to recall what he can remember about Silence of the Lambs. And then I'm going to see if I can fill in the gaps a little bit and tell you a little bit more about the universe of the movie as well. Okay, so Silence of the Lambs is directed by Jonathan Demme. I think I'm saying his name right. Either he's Demme also, or Demme. Yeah, yeah. he's also known for um, Philadelphia, um, which is one of his probably biggest um, 90s movies outside of this. 2004's Manchurian Candidate remake and Rachel Getting Married, which I think you and I both have said we are fans of. Maybe not. I don't remember. But I, I, at least I'm a fan of it. I can't remember if you had told me at some point that that was a movie you would really like. I think um, so. I don't I don't remember it all that well, but I probably have seen it, yes. Yes. 
Um, it's written for the screen by Ted Talley, who's also responsible for Red Dragon, I thought I'd point out. Um, also, All the Pretty Horses and Before and After, among other titles. Uh, and it's based on a 1988 novel by the same name by Thomas Harris. Now, I thought this was um, kind of just something funny and interesting to point out that uh, we have some similarities here um, between Silence of the Lambs and last month's um, flop, <laughs> Sleeping with the Enemy, um, in so much as that, um, and I, I probably could have mentioned this earlier, but they had a very likewise um, box office number for the month. They had exactly the same production budget of $19 million. Wow. They were both based on a novel from very, very close time. So this one's 1988. I believe the uh, last one was 87 or 89. Yeah, I think it's 87. So I don't know, just kind of funny. Uh, two, uh, two similar kind of coincidence sort of things going on here. One movie much better than the others. <laughs> the funny thing is, of that 19 million, the Sleeping of the Enemy movie probably went mostly to Julia Roberts, where at this time, Jodie Foster and... Anthony Hopkins were relative unknowns. So they weren't making the big bucks of Julia Roberts in this movie. Now, is that is that true? Like, do you feel Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins weren't kind of in the main limelight here yet? This was when Anthony I mean, Hop- Jodie Foster, I can see. Like, do you think Anthony Hopkins was not known at this point? I don't this, know. This was one of his first movies. Really? Yeah, because he was, he was a theater actor in London for a long, long, long time. So he got a little bit of a later start then. Yeah. Interesting. This was, I did. This, not was, know this was one of his first big movies. <laughs> I would say it's one of yeah, if not the first, it's one of the first. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to give this a wild shot at seeing what I can remember. Okay. Okay. Silence of the Lambs. Um, here's my recollection of Silence of the Lambs. I recall seeing this as a VHL. VHL. VHS on a shelf. That's where that came from. Elf on a shelf VHS. A VH elf on a shelf at my local VH elf store. Um, <laughs> the local <laughs> rental store. Which one of us is drinking all that wine? I'm not so sure anymore. VH elf needs to be a t shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I can remember, um, you know, obviously this is 1991-ish. It would have been later in the year when they released it, but that would have made me nine. And I was horrified by the cover of Silence of the Lambs. It's got that face, that kind of like porcelain whitish face uh, with that... Um, um, dragonfly over the mouth? Yeah. Is it a dragonfly or like a moth or I like... Think I, I think it's a dragonfly. Maybe. I don't remember, like, I feel like I remember it being like a moth, and I feel like I remember it having something to do with the, the story, and I could be wrong. I've, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, um, but I, I, I feel like it was like the death head moth or something. It, it like is that. a moth. You're right. It is a moth. Yes. And I, again, I don't remember. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I don't remember how it ties in um, 100% to the movie, but I feel like somebody mentions it or something. But it's it's like a, a moth with like a like a skull sort of shaped thing on the back of it. And I remember seeing that like because it was like front and center in the in the store when I came in. But do you know and what it, the, what do you know what the shape of the skull makes? A skull? 
the naked bodies of the dead women that Buffalo Bill killed. Oh, see, I needed to look at it closer. I was not doing that because I was uh, too freaked out by it. So I, I moved along from that and probably picked out like a uh, Ernest movie. I couldn't have said which one was available. I don't know. Scared, stupid, goes to jail, something like that. I would have probably uh, <laughs> moved along to. Although actually in this period of time, if I have to guess, maybe I moved along and grabbed the uh, the Ninja Turtles movie or something like that off the shelf. I don't know. Um, okay. So as much as I can recall of the story, um, Jodie Foster plays Clarice Starling, which that's a miracle in itself that I'm pulling that name out. Um, Anthony Hopkins, of course, plays the, um, utterly, um, creepy, um, terrifying, uh, Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) Um, that's a name that I don't think you can forget once you've seen this movie. Um, she is a kind of maybe like junior investigator for like the FBI or something like that. CIA, maybe. Um, I recall that there's a number of disappearances of women. And um, I also remember Buffalo Bill, who um, is extremely creepy. He likes goodbye horses. And he um, has a hole in his basement where he keeps at least one young woman at a time and he's all about them um, using lotion or they get the hose again. He wants them very moisturized because he's making a skin suit out of said young woman. So he can himself become a woman. Um, and she's trying to track down this kind of, uh, see, I, this is where I get fuzzy. I can't remember if that she knows there's like a serial killer. I don't remember if they found bodies or if these women are just missing and she's trying to find them. I know she gets connected with Hannibal Lecter who is in jail um, and he's like under very serious lock and key. Um, He's known to be a cannibal. We get that very famous, like I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti line that you so graciously started us off the night here with. Um, I know they do track Buffalo Bill down at his house at the end. And I think he dies. I think she kills him. Um, and I know that Hannibal Lecter gets loose in the end. They're kind of transporting him on like a, uh, like a little cart. And he's got that like creepy, like anti bite mask sort of thing over his face. And then he gets out of it and gets that mask off and immediately proceeds to bite somebody, some other cop or person that, that was involved, um, bites his ear or something off, doesn't it? Or so yeah. like a portion of his face or his cheek or something. I think it's part of his cheek. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I'm tapping out and I don't think that's too bad a recollection, but I just don't remember a lot of the minutia between that, but, um, that's, that's the, the big plot points that I can hit. So I know that you might have a better recollection of this as usual than, than I do, but I also know that you have kind of branching knowledge. So why don't you, um, fill in the gaps and then let us know what you know, or let me know what you know about the extended, um, Manhunter universe here. Sure. So you you got a lot of the good points right. So uh, Clary Starling is a rookie FBI investigator, and she is assigned to the Buffalo Bill case where there's missing women, and a few of the bodies start turning up, and they've been you know skinned essentially, degloved. Yeah. Look that one up (laughs) or don't if you want to like save your eyes. (laughs) If you want to sleep at night. Yes. Yes. Um, So, so she's investigating it and there is 
a, a lead in the sense that Buffalo Bill is writing essentially love letters to Hannibal Lecter. Mm. And that's how she kind of gets tied up with him, to my knowledge, to my what I remember. And then she starts interviewing him. And she only meets him like three times over the course of like a couple of days. But they grow very fond of one another for some reason. Because he Yeah. I mean, I should have mentioned that's like the highlight, I think, of the movie, like in a lot of cases for a lot of people is that kind of like really cool play between the two of them, like just lots of really intense writing. And it's yeah, really, really neat. Yeah, she she sort of gets deconstructed by him because he's also a psychologist. And that was like his trade, his like identity besides being a, a, a mass murderer. And he kind of leads her to the clues to help her find a senator's daughter who has been kidnapped and is like the fifth or sixth body that Buffalo Bill is, you know, trying to kill. And so what what he does is he he likes to get heavy set girls and then he starves them for weeks at a time before he kills them so that their skin is all loose because it'll stretch better to make his skin suit. And um and so she tracks him down and she hunts him down and finds him in his house and he's wearing night vision goggles and he almost kills her and uh, Clarice shoots and kills him. And, and as you mentioned, yes, uh, Hannibal Lecter is being transferred. Part of the agreement to like help find Buffalo Bill is they are going to move into a less maximum security facility and, and not total solitary confinement. And in the process of like transferring him, he escapes kills a bunch of people, creates this horrific scene at the end of the thing. It's all, it's gross. Like he's really does some crazy stuff and then gets away. And that's essentially the story. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside of this that you don't necessarily need to see in order to get Silence of the Lambs, but there is a previous movie and a previous book. The, the original book is called Red Dragon, which is actually a different serial killer entirely. But again, Hannibal Lecter is used as like the liaison, if you will, to help find this other killer. And that other uh, FBI agent is a guy named Will Graham, who's originally played by uh, the main actor in CSI. And that was in the movie Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann. It is a beautiful terrifying film it's one of my favorite michael mann movies and it is clearly 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 the reason behind or the reason for the show csi because literally it's the same actor essentially playing the same role but a, a different name like his like i think his name in csi is gill and his name in the movie is will and it's a, it, there's a lot of similarities to it. And that movie is fascinating. Hannibal Lecter is actually not played by Anthony Hopkins in Manhunter. It's played by Brian Cox. Interesting. And the, the, what, the room you see Hannibal Lecter in, in Silence of the Lambs is a totally different room. The room you find Hannibal Lecter in is a white room, an all white room. It's super stark. Like everything is bright white. Even Hannibal Lecter's out, like his clothes are all white. And it's really, really weird because it's so bright. And the rest of the movie is very, very dark. It's very interesting. After that, they did a 
sequel to Silence of the Lambs called Hannibal, where this time Julianne Moore plays Clary Starling, and it's years and years and years later. She's trying to hunt down and find Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Jodie Foster chose not to do this movie because it was so much more grotesque in the book and the script than the original Hmm. Silence of the Lamb. That's why she backed out of doing it. And Julianne Moore steps into the role and the film suffers significantly for it because it doesn't have the same chemistry and the same vibe as Silence of the Lambs. Interesting. And one of the interesting things about the Hannibal movie is so Hannibal's on the loose, right? And he's killing people all through Europe and everything. And you kind of learn a little bit more of his backstory and his history. And the end of the movie, she finds him at some like house in the suburbs, like this big mansion house. And he has cut her partner's brain open and is eating his brain while the guy is alive. I remember uh, when did that movie come out? I think we were in college, maybe like 2001. I remember around the time hearing about that, I feel like. Because like then, and maybe I'm getting ahead of us here, there's Red Dragon, but that's like 2002-ish. Didn't they have like Ed Norton or somebody in it? Yes. So after, I can remember for a fact that one coming out during when we were in college. So Hannibal came out early on when we were in college, and then Red Dragon came out after that as a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. And this time, Ed Norton is playing the Will Graham character and Anthony Hopkins is playing Hannibal Lecter again. And they like digitally de-aged him, but it doesn't look really that good. And the movie, the villain or the bad guy who's the Red Dragon is played by, I think, Ray Fiennes. Interesting. And the point of the movie, the the part of the, the Manhunter movie and the book of Red Dragon is the killer is finds himself hideous and grotesque, right? And so part of the thing of that movie is he smashes all the mirrors in the house so he can't see his own face and then takes the shards of glass and puts it over the eyes of his victims. And so that they can't see him, but he can see the monster of the dragon. And then there was a lot of complaints that I'm like, they chose Ray Fiennes to play the monster. <laughs> and he's relatively good looking fellow. Right. right. <laughs> he's a handsome fellow. And, um, and that was part of the movie that hurt the film. I thought Ed Norton plays a great Will Graham, but it's not, it's definitely not as good as the Michael Mann film from the eighties. And then after that, the the franchise sort of died off for a long time. Then they did another movie called Hannibal Rising, which has none of the original cast in it. It is the origin origin of Hannibal Lecter. Back I don't think I even heard of that one. <laughs> back in like Austria, and it's a young kid playing a young Hannibal Lecter, and he comes from like an abusive, tortured family and he becomes a psychopath and he's murdering and killing you do. people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, ter- it's a terrible, terrible movie. It goes from being a psychological thriller to a straight up horror movie. Yeah. And it's a horrible horror movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, really bad. 
then that really essentially killed the movie franchise completely at that point. Then fast forward to, I think it's like 2014 or 2015. They rebooted it as a television series called Hannibal. And again, it is essentially taking the red dragon book and telling it across three or four seasons. So you have Hannibal Lecter is this brilliant psychologist, college professor guy, and he's also killing people and eating them. And Will Graham, the FBI agent, is trying to hunt him down and track him and capture him. I didn't watch the series mostly because I I just felt like it's just rehashing the same idea and I wasn't really too excited about it. Yeah. I might go back and watch it because I've read a lot of positive reviews about it. People say that it's really great, but I haven't watched it. Just this month, they premiered on CBS a new show called Clarice, which takes place about a month or two after Silence of the Lambs. And she's maybe it's maybe it's more like six months or so. And she's kind of got a little bit of like PTSD from the Buffalo Bill mm. thing. And most of the FBI doesn't want anything to do with her because she's super famous now from capturing Buffalo Bill. But there's also this stigma that she let Hannibal Lecter get away. And she's been reassigned to a new case. And she's hunting down a new killer, essentially. I only watched the pilot. And the pilot was really good. Really, really great. I liked it a lot. Uh, the girl who plays Clary Starling is interesting. She seems to struggle a little bit with the Southern accent, but overall the cast is really solid too. And that's the, my regurgitated history <laughs> of the Silence of the Lambs franchise. Epic. Well done. Well, thank you for that. And here's my, my takeaway. Calling your cannibal character Hannibal is corny. It's a little on the nose, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose. All right. So I got another, I got, I got a trivia question for you. Okay. I'll see what I can do. Do you know who the actor is who played Buffalo Bill? Oh, not off the top of my head. No, I'd have to look it up. I'd have to cheat. <laughs> so the actor who plays Buffalo Bill was also decades later, a police chief on a USA show that was a very popular USA show starring Tony Shalhoub. I mean, if it's not Tony Shalhoub, I don't really remember. I remember Monk, but I don't remember a lot of the other people that were on the show. So the captain there is a guy named Ted Levine, and Ted Levine is Buffalo Bill. Interesting. Well, good for you, Ted Levine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so as we've been doing, um, I thought we'd do our little preview review and get our little dose of 90s uh, trailer here. So do you have that up and ready? I will cue it up. Okay, I have it queued up. I'm ready when you are. All right, let us count down here. Three, two, and one. Orion. Ooh, they're already trying to freak us out with smiling Hannibal faces. Not yet, sir. 
Yeah, Jodie Foster's young here. Past the others, the last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. I feel very confident. Alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. So he is dumping them. Is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise. I think one of the things that that caught me about this was Clarice's accent. It was yeah. such a unique accent. I can't really place where it's supposed to be from. I'll help you catch him, Clarice. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Yeah, even the way Hannibal speaks. Yeah. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. But he's a monster, pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. She looks like she had a runny nose there. <laughs> yeah. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Oh, they're giving away the ending there. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy, creepy, creepy. You know what's interesting about this trailer is? You never actually see Buffalo Bill at all. You see like a little clip of him cutting someone's dress, but you never actually see him. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of the more interesting things that this is still going. <laughs> Are you done yet? February 14th. Yeah, absolutely. Big time Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> Bring exactly your loved ones. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's... Creepy trailer for sure. Definitely fitting of the uh, era here. Gives I, a lot away. I, I'm happy they don't show him because, you know, like the funny thing to me is that Buffalo Bill is always like an incidental character to Hannibal Lecter, even though Hannibal is supposed to be this character that's supposed to kind of like, you know, be her like mentor sort of thing, push her along the path she needs to to continue to do her story. It, it's almost incidental to like the relationship that she builds with Hannibal and sort of this back and forth that they have together. You know what it's, it's kind of like interesting take on a story in that respect. You know what it's kind of like you saw glass, right? Yes. So the way the movie is portrayed is similar to glass in the sense that, that Jodie Foster is essentially the Bruce Willis character. The um, Samuel L. Jackson character is the Hannibal Lecter, the genius and then the beast and buffalo bill are the, are the monster they're trying to capture i can kind of see the uh the threads you're tearing together here <laughs> another interesting thing about buffalo bill is one of the things they were trying to do with that character was they they strayed a little bit from the book and made him sort of an amalgam of a couple of different type of serial killers mm. like uh, he's partially Ted Bundy. He's partially like Ed Gein. He's a little bit of a, a, a mixture of different characters that are all real life serial killers. And they kind of melded him into one super monster. Yeah. I know uh, all this is putting me in mind of, of serial killers, etc. I know you're a, a big Dexter guy. Saw that they, you said that they were kind of uh, bringing something back with that. Uh, Can't wait. soon. <laughs> Honestly, this particular movie got me fascinated with the idea of serial killers and telling stories about that. Like this and American Psycho were two movies that I've always loved or like one of my favorites of all time. And 
just fascinated by them. I mean, and- it is funny. Like as a culture, we seem to have a thing for serial killers and killings. It's an interesting dynamic because I mean, even just in the podcast world, things like serial, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it, 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 these different things that follow various killers and things like that. I don't know. Really just interesting. And it's, it's quite, you know what it kind of equates to it's, I, I think of it like a mythological figure. Like if you went back to the, you know, 1800s or even earlier, like the, the 13 and 1400s in the dark ages and such, such where people were afraid of things like vampires and they felt like vampires could have been a real thing. Uh, I look at a serial killer as like our modern interpretation of what a vampire might be, this mythological yeah, monster. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I would even go so far as to say we've almost moved past that into like the mass shooter sort of yeah. thing now. So now I'm curious if down the road you'll have like the uh, movies portraying something like that, which I'm not looking forward no, to. No, I'm not. No, no. But it, it is an interesting thing. I mean, it's it's like kind of a, a weird psychological examination of the human psyche, I guess. So uh, this movie for sure. I mean, like that's one of my biggest takeaways that I can recall from this is that it's, it's a thriller and it's got its horrific sort of moments, but it's really at the end of it, like a really intellectual sort of look at like the inside of a broken mind. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I don't know, just, just pretty interesting. And and the thing is the, the funny part about that is both Hannibal Lecter and Clary Starling both are broken. Yeah. And they collectively, even though they're supposed to be rivals, kind of feed off of each other's insecurities and, and psychoses, if you will. And yeah. they're, they're damaged parts to try to figure out, you know, some sort of cohesive thing. And it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, everyone knows how this movie ends, but it's almost as if if you look at it for, through the lens of he's looking at her as a protege, as if he's trying to mold her into being something more like him. Yeah, he's manipulating her for sure. So interesting. Well, look forward to more of this in uh, two weeks on Friday on our recall segment when we go back and rewatch and review. I just call it recall segment. See, I'm shot. (laughs) And I'm the one drinking wine. (laughs) So look out in two weeks on Friday. We're going to go back and rewatch and review Silence of the Lambs. I know I'm looking forward to seeing this again after all this time. It sounds like you are as well. I am. Um, So obviously, you know, join us at home. Take a rewatch of this and see what you think uh, after 30 years of uh, Silence of the Lambs. memes and uh, <laughs> little uh, pop-ups in uh, cartoons and all sorts of things. I feel like um, uh, there's so many things that have, have made fun of and mocked and, and used oh, yeah. the lambs in its, uh, in its thing, not the least of which is uh, Kevin Smith seems to have a, a fascination with this that pops up in his stuff. So, yeah. And also, don't forget to check us out on our Tee Public store, Box Office 30. I just got a brand new long sleeve shirt. It is fantastic. I can't wait to see it. Oh, I I should have worn it. I'll wear it for the next (laughs) podcast. It arrived yesterday and I haven't taken it out of the bag yet, but it looks awesome. I'm really happy about it. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at Box Office 30, on Facebook at Box Office 30, on Instagram, Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y 30, 
And you can go to our website, boxoffice30.com, and check out all the episodes you might have missed and catch up and power through it. And don't forget, you're also going to hear me and Pete again on my other podcast when we talk about The Rocketeer. We got so much Pete and I this month, your head is going to explode. It's going to be wild. Yes, you might just permanently unsubscribe from a few podcasts. Who knows? And and trust me, when we do the 90 Super Cinema, it is off the rails. Curses galore. You can go crazy. It's glorious. We just don't even care. It's just bananas. And the Long Island factor is at 11. Oh, it'll be turned up all the way to 11. You have no idea. It'll be fantastic. So I thought we would do our um, big movie quiz slash hypothetical. What do you think? You want to dive in on it? Yeah, let's go for it. I love it. One of the things I didn't mention last time is that um, this is actually broken out into three different decks. So I actually wanted to give you the option. Last time I gave you action movies, which I figured would be kind of up your alley. But I also have comedy classics and Oscar winners. Do you have a preference? Comedy classics. We just did a dark movie review. Let's do some comedy here. Yes, yeah, so let's let's end this on a, a light positive note. The only problem is I gotta pull this sucker out of the plastic. <laughs> I gotta get out my knife here to open this. Hold on. That's not a knife. That's a knife. This is a knife. God, if we oh when does when does Crocodile Dundee two come? Oh I don't know. I'm not sure if we're, we'll get that one on this podcast. Although I love the Crocodile Dundee movies, I'm not sure are those both 80s movies or is the other one in the 90s? I think it is 90s. I don't know. I think there's like a third obscure one with a son of Crocodile Dundee or something. Yeah, we we won't be doing that on this podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. So our comedy classics deck here. I'm giving it a good shuffle. One of them just flew way out of my hand. All right. So totally random choice here. Who plays the main character in the 2017 film Lady Bird? Oh, um. Irish actress? Yes. Uh, what's her name? She's got red hair. Uh, I don't, I, I know the face. I can't pronounce the name. Saoirse Ronan. That's what it is. Yes. Okay. So uh, this is a little, um timely in a way because i was just talking about mila kunis and we have just finished out um watching the amazing amazing wandavision who stars alongside katherine hahn and mila kunis in bad moms Kristen bell yes that's a great movie it is a great movie the se- the sequel not so much but the first movie is great all right, here's a here's a real um, lob. The, this one should be pretty easy for you. Which U.S. city is the hangover set in? Vegas. There you go. This is the, the city that this guy wants to travel to worse than any other, I feel like. You still haven't made it there yet, have you? Never made it to Vegas. You I, know I, what? Post-corona, we got to go. I, well, <laughs> Dory is planning a, a 40th birthday trip for me, and, and I'm trying to push for Vegas. So. All right, fair enough. All right, uh, let's see here. Which 2010 film sees Russell Brand reprise the character of Aldous Snow? Oh, uh, it's the movie with uh, Jonah Hill. Yes. Um, what is it called? I'll give you a hint. Starts with a G. Uh, 
only, not a big enough hint, huh? The only G that comes to mind is get shorty, but that's definitely not it. How about uh, if I start you with get him? Get him to the Greek? There you go. <laughs> Another? I'll do one more. Let's do one more. All right. Let's, I'm, let's, I'm let's not doing well on this list, so I want to do uh, three cards here today. All right. I want a winner. This one is a this one is another um uh soft pitch here. Who directed Blazing Saddles? Mel Brooks. Absolutely. Fantastic movie. And finally, for this evening, the disaster artist is based on the real life production of which cult film? The Room. The Room it is. I've never seen. No? <laughs> but I re- but I recently learned the budget for The Room. Do you know the budget for the movie The Room? Uh, it can't be much. You want to know? Sure, hit me with it. You may want to pull up Box Office Mojo because you may not believe me. <laughs> but I just heard the other day the room's budget was $6 million. No. <laughs> there's no way. I mean, I can see it, but also I feel like there's no way. <laughs> um, we have to verify. Let me, yeah, let me see if I can get it up. Six million it is. Wow. How about that? <laughs> I kind of can't get over that. Right. Is that crazy or what? How much of that did Tommy was so pocket? Right. <laughs> and I've still never seen the movie. I've never seen it. And I want, I'm dying to see it. Well, all I have to say is it's bullshit. <laughs> I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay, so I have one question for you from my pod decks. What the heck? Yes. Okay. Is cereal soup? Why or why not? Oh, I I dig this question in a big, bad way. Is cereal soup? It is not soup. And my reasoning is that despite it being things floating in a liquid, the things that are in it are primarily grainy, branny, crunchy things. I would tend to agree. I I, I, I feel like soup is more mushy things. Right. <laughs> One thing I will say is that soup is good and good for you. So... <laughs> But uh, but that's I think that's where I land on the uh, on the on that hot take. If you have a different hot take on on soup cereal as soup, please let us know on our socials. I, I would love to hear from you about that. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know too. If if you get this far through this and you're like, is soup cereal? Huh? That's gonna be the burning question of 2021. Yes. Where's soup cereal? I don't know. Or is I showed up for the box office report and I stayed for the soup. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Fabulous. But, but that's it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for checking us out and listening to our podcast and you know following us on our social medias. And we'll see you in two weeks with our review of Silence of the Lambs. Bye, friends. I'll have Chianti next time, too. Yes, you do that. Make sure you do. (laughs) And the fava beans. Yes, those are important. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.
has been a presentation of the Retro Network.